Genesis 37, 1 through 11. Beginning to read then with verse 1 of the 37th chapter. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have streamed. There were binding sheaves in the field. Uh, th there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his, brothers, and his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time uh, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. We're coming, we've come to a new year. Uh, today, 2023, I have seen this uh, happen. I guess I'm trying to figure out my age versus the January 1st, and I, I think I've come to see, I'm 74 now, but I think I've come to see 73 of these new years uh, come before us. And it's, uh, it's always an interesting thing to come and realize that you're starting up a whole, a brand new whole year. I don't think many of us can stop the thought that this is a new year with the, the Lord. We're, we're, we live our lives quorum Deo, Latin, which means before the Lord. We know that we are transparent before him. and We live all of our lives before him. What will he do with us? What, what are his uh, ministrations, uh, his uh, uh, foreordinations for us? We all, we all wonder about that. We all face that. And so uh, we come to a, a kind of a new start here in the book of Genesis uh, because Jacob represents something new. Uh, the first point of the sermon is humdrum history. And when we come to Jacob or Joseph as we're marching through Genesis, when we come to Joseph, 
It is as a, if a bright light suddenly is turned on. And Joseph himself doesn't even really understand it. But he speaks about it, and as he speaks about his dreams, as he speaks about these revelations that God give him, the only thing that comes of it, at least in the short term, is the hatred and the envy of his brothers. The confusion even of this great patriarchal head, his father Jacob, uh, we see at the very end of this, the very end of what I read, that the brothers, at the end of that passage, they're hating, they're envying, Joseph, his, his father rebukes him, but at the same time, his father is smart enough to know that God may be doing something. And so the text said that his father kept the matter in mind. I love that. His father kept the matter in mind. As we live our lives before the Lord, it's helpful for us to think, of the truths of the Lord and to keep those matters in mind, no matter what our providences are, no matter what our persuasions are. The whole family was kind of persuaded at that point that Joseph was nuts. That there was something bizarre, something weird going on. But some years later, when they crawled into Egypt, starving to death, and Joseph sat upon the throne of Pharaoh, and offered provisions to his family. What a different day it was. We can never quite figure out in our feeble minds what God will do, what his ministrations will lead us to. We can never quite qualify what God is doing or understand it from beginning to end. It's best to simply reflect upon the glory of God and to follow him and to depend upon him as we go step by step through the new days of our lives. And so I invite you to do that and be inspired by the story of Joseph uh, in terms of the inspiration of why it behooves you to think and to behave in that way. Joseph had a dream. This passage is about Joseph having a dream. And uh, we are so proud in our lives to speak disparagingly of those who have dreams, who think differently than we do, who have new ideas. Uh, this is the way it just seems like this is part of the post-fall mentality. Uh, dare anybody to think that they have a cure for some sickness or an idea in business that might improve people's lives. As a nation, we've just had a, a wonderful illustration. We, have, we had about eight years of a famine under a previous president, and then we had, and and, and uh, that was sort of celebrated. <laughs> Eight years of famine. We had four years of bounty from another president that was hated by many people in the nation and not esteemed by others. And uh, uh, politics is just an unbelievably complex operation. And you, as you as you re, as you look at reality, look at politics through the, the lens of scripture, it's mind-boggling sometimes. And uh, and now we're, we've had it. We're entering into another four years of confusion, calamity, and that sort of thing. And uh, the, the the president who's calamitous has almost the same approval ratings as the president who was fairly successful. So here we find Jacob or Joseph. And Joseph has this dream, and his brothers do not make up. Don't know. Don't know what to make of it. Now, the first point: this humdrum history. 
when you're reading through Genesis at this point, the, the previous chapter, chapter 36, which we focused upon the last time I was with you, the previous chapter is the, the generations um, <clears throat> uh, of Esau. 36.1 says, now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Now, if anybody knows anything about the scripture, they know that Edom was an enemy of the Lord. They also know, ironically, that Edom, as a nation, came from Esau. And what they know from Genesis 9, that where it says, Esau, uh, J- Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Speaking of election and reprobation, and how this divine... Uh, idea was found in the family of, of Isaac, where he had these, I mean, uh, uh, Jacob, where he had these, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting uh, uh, confused here, but where the, 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 two, the two brothers of Jacob and Esau were, were born, and uh, uh, Esau, they just were very different kids, but uh, Jacob turned out to be the child that, was, that God's hand was upon. Esau, on the other hand, moved farther and farther from his family, from the, the place where the word of God was being expounded, and became more and more confused and more and more uh, humanistic, if we could use a, a contemporary term for uh, what, he was, uh, what he was doing. But um, the, the question arises, why does God even pay attention to the unbelievers? Why does God dedicate a whole chapter of the Bible to the genealogy of Esau, who became Edom. Why does he do that? It's certainly not an exciting chapter. When you read through that, you see a lot of different names. You see how the sons are mentioned. It mentions how the chiefs of the sons, they mention something about their political organization. It mentions in in verse uh, uh, 36, um, 20, uh, no, 30, 36, 31, it starts talking about the kings of Edom. And then it says, uh, uh, now, there were, now there were the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. So there's a reference of, of how uh, Israel cried out for a king at a certain point. And uh, it's just a, one of these little in-between-the-lines emphases or uh, intuitions of how uh, the, the whole idea of kings ruling in politics is a bad idea, but how people are drawn to it, how Israel was drawn. He, he, here he is focusing here on Edom and the kings that were there. He also focuses on the chiefs of Esau, verse, uh, verse, 40, verse 40 of the previous chapter. He goes over all the different, the different chiefs of each of the ones of the sons. But all of this stuff is just such a monotony of information, and it, we know that it leads nowhere, because these are the, this is the genealogy of Edom or Esau. This is the genealogy of the reprobate. What? Well, where will the future of the reprobate be except under the judgment of God in the place they deserve? Hell! And yet God gives over a portion of the scripture to detailing the whole thing. You know, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of his creation and where it went. And so then we come to Joseph in chapter 37. Now, skip from the, the world of the reprobate 
talking about humdrum existence, we can sp- skip from the reprobate, we can skip to the, ch- the chosen and the righteous. And we see that in many cases they're doing the same thing in terms of marrying foreign women. You'll see that in the chapters to come with Judah and Reuben. Um, we've already seen where Reuben uh, committed adultery with one of his, uh, with one of his father's um, wives, uh, one of the, uh, the servant women that had been adopted by uh, his immediate wives. And uh, <clears throat> so there's so much confusion going on. There's, so, there's such a, a, a monotony of confusion. And sometimes we see that in our own lives. Uh, we, 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 and whether it's our jobs or our churches or our, our, love, our loves, our interests, our families, we often see that it just seems like things just go along and along and along from confusion to confusion, from problem to problem. That's been one of the fascinations of focusing on the, the, this family theme as we looked at through the book of Genesis. We really see that how, how similar their families were to our families today and how they were not living uh, in like a, a 40, 40th story existence uh, way above the world with all of its mess. No, the mess of the world will often uh, contaminate, infiltrated and contaminated the family of God. So there is this humdrum history that's going all over the place, whether we're talking about Edom or the patriarchal family. And yet, here we come to chapter 37, and it says, um, Joseph being, in the second verse, Joseph being 17 years old, was uh, feeding the flock, and the lad was with the sons of, it mentions two of the concubines, uh, Bil- Bilhah and Zilpah of his father, and their children, and uh, we know that God counted these children as bona fide, genuine, part of the, the 12 tri- tribes, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. So these things are mysterious, but God uses the humdrum existence and he uses the confusion and he deals with it and he, he develops it into a nation. And ultimately, this leads to the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Joseph, in a sense, portrays the coming of Christ. Joseph is one of the sons of Jacob, but he's different. He's unique. And the Holy Spirit seems to be upon him. He, he dreamed a dream. God himself was giving J, uh, Joseph these dreams. And even as Joseph in his naivete was speaking about these dreams to his brothers and his father and was, uh, was uh, inciting the rest of his fa- family to envy and to thoughts that he was crazy, uh, we see that this is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. So Jacob or Joseph was dreaming a dream. And uh, uh, this is God's surprise in Joseph that starts in in 37.2. Joseph was only 17. He was not not even a, uh, a young man with a lot of experience. He was just, he was a young man. And the, the influence that comes upon him seems to be extravagant and impl- uh, flamboyant, these dreams that he was having. It, it's funny, too, that, that these dreams are these dreams might, if somebody posed these dreams to us, we might say, well, I have no idea what that means. But they were immediately transparent 
to the brothers and to the father. When you get to when you get to the second dream, uh, in verse nine, it says he he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. I've dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And you, when you read, you can be reading that as a Christian and think, what in the world is this? But his father gets it immediately. The sun and the moon are his mother and his father, and then the eleven stars are his eleven brothers. Uh, who uh, are existent at that time. So uh, sometimes the scripture, scriptural language is so extravagant and then flamboyant, and we might wonder, what in the world is God saying there? But if you understand the context, and they did in that day, you get it almost immediately. And, uh, and uh, we see in verse 10 that his father even rebuked him regarding these things, um, and if we ask ourselves, where did, where did this come from? We see that amazingly all of this is sourced to his father's love, Jacob's love. Jacob, just from the time that Joseph was born, Jacob had a special affection for the lad. Where did this come from except for the Lord? We don't understand all the depths of psychology or how this happens, this or that happens. But Jacob... God persuaded Jacob right away that there was something special about this youngest son of his. And um, and uh, it captivated him from that time forward. And uh, the, the brothers, the brothers could have gone with the flow and thought to themselves, why has God done this? And they could have invested themselves in their younger brother. From right from the start, they could have said, well, if they, had, if they had a theological view of life, they could have said, well, it's evident that God has done this. Why has God done this? Let us learn. Let us invest ourselves in our brother. Let us see what is going on in his life that maybe would be an instruction to us. And had they done that, they, they would have found all kinds of wonderful things there in the naivete and in the innocence and the purity of heart of Joseph. They might have even come to see that Joseph was a picture of the Messiah to come. Uh, the Messiah to come was the inspiration of his father. The Messiah to come only did good things. He was only innocent. He was only good. And yet he inspired all kinds of envy and hatred amongst his brothers, amongst the people of that day. Why is it? that we have not a pure, more insightful mind, that where we find good, we can appreciate it and love it and rejoice in it. Why must we envy it and cover the things of goodness rather than espousing those things ourselves and seeking to, to uh, 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 um, imbibe in God's goodness through liking the right things by doing the right things? We sang, Jehovah's perfect law restores the soul again. Why is it that we see when we see God's blessings, when we see God's purity, why must we be antagonized by it? What's going on? Well, we know what's going on. It's the filth of our own souls. It's the contamination of our own hearts. But Joseph could not be restrained. <laughs> just, this stuff just bubbled up in him, and it came out. And then when it came out, there was no guile in, in the deep sense with Joseph. There was, no, there was no evil plot. He wasn't trying to suborn his brother's superiority over him and steal it and rob it and put himself in their place. It was just the simple influences of the Holy Spirit and goodness. 
Now, the brothers could have no idea at this point. As they, a moment later, as they sold him into slavery uh, for, uh, uh, what was it? <clears throat> um, 20 shekels of silver. I did as much math trying to figure this out as possible. And 20 shekels of silver is basic, basically is the same is is the same as eight ounces of silver. And you can the precious metals they tend to re retain their value over time, no matter what the rest of the world does, no matter what is inflation or deflation. Uh, the so the silver and gold tend to remain the same, and uh, of course silver is much less expensive than gold, but uh, it's it's roughly the uh, it's roughly about. Uh, Six hundred dollars, uh, eight ounces, eight uh, what is it? Eight shekels of silver, um, and um, uh, which is all. I I thought I thought about it a number of different ways. That's basically the price of two lambs, you know. So they sold their brother for five six hundred bucks. The 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 value of two of two lambs, two sheep, uh, two well not sheep but two lambs. Lambs are more in some senses more valuable than sheep. But um, they did this just uh, out of the envy and the anger of their own hearts. Uh, but uh, it, didn't, it didn't end up ruining Joseph. The worst things in the world, being sold into slavery by your own family. Sometimes we, we react to things, we let things ruin us that are far less uh, uh, pugnacious and evil than that. But... Uh, Joseph just kind of went, went with the flow. Oh, I'm sold into Egypt. <laughs> I'm sold into slavery in Egypt. I'll deal with that in the Lord. And uh, as in God's good providence, we're told that he was sold to a nobleman in Egypt. He, basically, he was sold to one of the, the great men of Egypt, Potiphar. And uh, Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar's family took interest in, in Joseph. There was something about him right from the start. Kind of like Jesus. There was something about Jesus right from the start, wasn't there, that that, that made him different. And so uh, when Joseph dreamed this dream, this was indicative of God's plans for Joseph. And uh, it, it broke out of the humdrum history, just as maybe this year, maybe 2023 will break out of our humdrum history and we'll see new surprises that God has for us. But God had a surprise in Joseph. And in the end, Joseph became a kind of savior for his family, just like Jesus becomes for, for us. And uh, the, one of the most interesting things about this is Jacob's role in this, because on the one hand, he was suspicious of his son and his extravagant dreams. But on the other hand, it says, as I already pointed out, he could not get the thing out of his mind. That God was doing something extraordinary in his son Joseph, and that then, then he wondered, what is God doing, and why is God doing this? Because he realized that God never does anything without a purpose, uh, without an angle, without a plan. And so, with the coming of Christ, we see a lot of people that were surprised, people who didn't understand, certainly people who were antagonized, and they envied Christ, and they didn't understand God's purpose and God's plan. Brothers and sisters, we need to be people that have an open mind to the plans and to the, to the uh, 
dimensions of God's thought and what how he has expressed it to us. God teaches us that he has planted a kingdom that will rise up and in the end will encompass all things. He sent a king to instigate that kingdom. And we know him as Jesus Christ, of whom Joseph is a prefigurement way back in the days of his father Jacob. 